All right, 7.05 is the first pitch tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan in Sportsnet is the Jays and Orioles play the second game of their three-game series. Jays coming off a 6-3 win uh, in 10 innings yesterday. Already some good news on the out-of-town scoreboard for the Blue Jays. The Chicago White Sox somehow miraculously beat the uh, Seattle Mariners. The uh, One of the, my favorite plays in baseball, throwing error leading to walk-off run. Tim Anderson uh, scoring the winning run as uh, the White Sox beat the Mariners. So the Mariners currently half a game ahead of the Blue Jays in the final wild card, uh, final wild card spot. Um, a, uh, a quick shout out, by the way, to the uh, uh, the folks in Woodstock, uh, Ontario. The uh, 2023 13 and under national championships are getting underway this week, and there's four national championships. Uh, being or on tap to uh, close out August. And one of those is the 2023 13 and under national championships. Uh, it's going to start uh, in Woodstock tomorrow. And uh, Kevin Barker, normally my co-host, Kevin Barker will be uh, at a meet and greet along with uh, Hazel May. So if you're out in that area, the meet and greet is around 7, uh, 7.30, I believe. Uh, come out and support Woodstock minor baseball. Uh, it will be at the uh, Boston Pete's in Woodstock. And uh, if you say if if you uh, see Barker, ask him for hitting tips. Um, the Orioles and Jays will uh, continue their series tonight. If you missed it, the Orioles made a uh, not really a late change. The decision was made earlier this morning, but Jack Flaherty was supposed to be the starting pitcher. He was scratched. He will be replaced by Dean Kramer, who was supposed to start tomorrow against Kevin Gossman. Uh, Flaherty just uh, did not feel right after his throw day. And um, I talked about this a little bit before the break. You know, one of the, one of the things I'm going to keep an eye on in the next two games in this series is how... Uh, Brandon Hyde, the Orioles manager, uh, manages his bullpen and manages his pitching in particular because um, since three months into the season, uh, Brandon Hyde was very public. He certainly wasn't hiding that he was uh, intent on watching the workload of his relievers. Felix Bautista in, in particular threw a lot last year. He's thrown a lot this year as well. But uh, there have been series where uh, Brandon Hyde has just told Felix Batista, I'm, we're, not, we're not using you for two days in this series. We're, again, this is all about keeping dudes healthy for a playoff race. Uh, and, and as it stands right now, the Orioles, uh, ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays and the American League East, the Orioles are going to the playoffs. The Orioles may even win the division. And, I mean, goodness, who knows, given the type of year the Orioles have had, they could go on an extended run. So if you are Brandon Hyde, I mean, you're you're trying not to get ahead of yourself here. You're certainly not going to overlook what you have to do in August and September with an eye toward the postseason. Um, But you can rest assured that Hyde is going to be paying a lot of attention to the workload of his, his bullpen going forward. And that's why this... This news about Jack Flaherty uh, has got to be at least concerning, and we'll be joined by Rock Kabatka of uh, Masson uh, Sports later on to to talk about that. Uh, Jack Flaherty, the trade acquisition for the Baltimore Orioles at the trade deadline. The guy was supposed to 
um, at least help Brandon Hyde manage these innings going forward. And uh, so we'll keep an eye on on how uh, we'll keep an eye on how Brandon Hyde manages things these next couple of days. That's one of the reasons I think that Felix Bautista did not pitch, uh, did not go two innings last night. I think it was pretty clear that Brandon Hyde was going to limit him to uh, one inning of work. Um, it's that time of year where we have a pretty representative, pretty good body of evidence right now, things that have happened. And um, Anthony Castrovince of the MLB Network and MLB.com wrote a uh, fun article a couple of days ago on 10 things no one saw coming this season. And we're very pleased that Anthony joins us on Blair and Barker. Anthony, thanks for doing this. The, one of the reasons, well, it's always good to talk to you, but one of the reasons we're pleased is your number one item had to do with the Baltimore Orioles, who the Jays are, are facing right now. I, I mean, look, we thought at the start of the year uh, that they were going to be a fun team, that they were going to be a, a dangerous team. But I don't think too many people really thought, really thought that we'd be in the last week of August and the Baltimore Orioles would be in first place in the East. Right. Yeah, I had a uh, Orioles fan email me after that said, "Excuse me, maybe you national media members, you villains, uh, didn't see this coming." But here in Baltimore, we definitely saw this coming. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to write back, like, "No, you didn't," because I heard from many of you. I heard from so many of you during spring training. You were frustrated because they didn't make any big acquisitions. You know, there was the the, the, the comments from the general manager, you know, uh, last year that they're ready for liftoff and. Everybody was all geeked up uh, going into the free agency, and then they didn't do much, and people were upset. So, no, I don't want to hear that Orioles fans knew <laughs> that they were going to suddenly be this elite juggernaut in a loaded AL East. I, I, I'm not ready for that. And I think the scary thing is, too, Anthony, they, they look, I, they're owned by John Angelos, so certainly this thing could go pear-shaped. I mean, there's an entire possibility that, that – that that something that something happens down the road, but it's almost it's almost scary just how lined up they have things right now with, you know, Jackson Holiday and with another wave of dudes coming up. It's yeah, if people are going to say, well, that's what happens when you when you stink for a number of years and you collect draft picks and everything, and and, and that's true. But you still got a hit on draft picks, and there are a lot of teams, there are a lot of teams that you know, haven't hit on as many draft picks in a decade as the Orioles have hit on in the past two years. Amen. It's easier said than done. The reality is if you have however many teams, you know, five or six teams in a given season who are quote unquote tanking uh, and and in that, that mode, that strategy, how many of those teams are going to legitimately build a world series contender? It's, it's harder than it looks. Um, we cite the winners. We don't cite the losers so much. You know, we, we, we cite the Astros and, and what, how they were able to build uh, their championship core in that route. Um, but I don't know. I'm just like the Phillies. I don't, the Phillies rebuild wasn't really spectacular. They just reached a point where they started bringing a Bryce Harper and, you know, bringing Priya Zach Wheeler. Uh, and they've, they've hit on that route uh, to become a, a championship caliber club, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the, the blowing it up and, and, and trying to build up the farm system actually didn't go so great for them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you got to give credit to them for being able to identify talent and develop that talent. And they still, it's remarkable. They're, you know, we still rate them as one of the best farm systems in the game, even after all the graduations. Um, and they, they still have more coming. So you're right. 
it can always go south in a hurry in a baseball. None of us are smart enough to know, except maybe Orioles fans, apparently. But none of us are smart enough to know like what the future holds. And sometimes your best chance is right now. Uh, you are there in Toronto, and I am pretty shocked that the Blue Jays haven't had truly a World Series caliber club yet. You know, with that core. But it just goes to show how difficult it can be to have everything hit at the right time and at the same time. Uh, it's a special thing when it happens. You got to take advantage of it when it does happen. Yeah, no, that, that's really true. I, I've got a, I've got a question for you here. Your second item, the about things no one saw coming this season. Oh boy, I certainly didn't. I don't. I, I will admit that the possibility of the Yankees, Mets, Padres, and Cardinals all missing the playoffs. I'm going to ask you, who would you rather be? Looking ahead to 2024, the Yankees, the Mets, the Padres, or the Cardinals? Boy, I think probably the Mets um, because I think they did a, actually a pretty good job of quasi-rebuilding on the fly here at this trade deadline from everything you know people people tell me about the, the prospects they were able to get. It kind of changed the look of their system very quickly, and you know they still are going to have all the financial capital in the world. Um and they still do have a lot of talent on that team. You know, it, there, there's a lot of confounding things about their season because, you know, they do have a Francisco Lindor and, um, you know, some, some legitimate pieces. Yeah, Edwin Diaz will be back next year. With the Padres, I think it's harder in that market. Um, and, you know, Juan Soto will be nearing free agency, so that's going to be a difficult determination for them moving forward. Um, the Cardinals just haven't done a good job of having that uh, – having that pitching core, you know, developing that pitching core. And that takes time and energy and, or maybe just accurate spending, but that's really hard to do. So, um, you know, I don't want to be any of them really mm-hmm. <laughs> next year, but if I had to choose, I'd probably go with the Mets. Yeah, it, it's interesting hearing you talk about the Cardinals like that because, look, I, I mean, I, I remember when people used to talk about a Cardinal way, and sometimes they used to think it was, there was a lot of eyewash involved. But those other three organizations, like if you had told me, hey, the Yankees could screw up a season, the Mets could screw up a season, the Padres could screw up a season, I would say, yeah, I, I, I absolutely, I can see that happening. Um, but there's, there's something about the Cardinals. You don't expect the Cardinals to get so much so wrong, right? Because it just, they, they haven't in the past. They've always been kind of that, you know, that, 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 that middle American market with a big fan base, and they just, they always seem to make the right decisions by and large. And, you know, I look back to the start of this year with Tyler O'Neill and Ollie, uh, Ollie Marmel getting into it. I, it. It just seems as if they have, it, it, it's almost as if they've stopped being able to get out of their own way, which really surprises me for the Cardinals. It does, and maybe they're victims of that success in the sense that maybe it, it did uh, get them thinking they could get away with things uh, in, in terms of, you know, shying away from obvious solutions and thinking, well, we can piece it together. I think their greatest sin was assuming through their own successes in the past that, okay, we'll go into the season, uh, you know, we don't have a strikeout staff. Uh, but whatever we need, we can find midseason and we can piece it together, you know, because they've done that uh, in the recent past. And it didn't work this year because they never got on the right track from day one, and the pitching staff was the brunt of that. And the biggest issue is the game kind of changed. I think the Yankees are dealing with that as well, with the way the game has kind of changed around them um, in a different way they're dealing with it. For the Cardinals, it was defensively. Uh, you know, 
you had to be more athletic in the infield. And when you don't have a strikeout staff, uh, they didn't have the defensive uh, capabilities that they needed to have. And, you know, so that only amplified uh, their, their struggles on the pitching end. Now, you tweeted this out a little earlier about Terry Francona, and this tweet is, Terry Francona is pretty obviously retiring, but hesitant to say he's retiring because he doesn't want people to celebrate him in his career as he retires, which sounds very much like Terry. But now we're going to do that anyway. Look, he's had some health issues. Uh, man, I, I watch him. You know, I, 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 I saw him in the dugout during the Jays-Cleveland series. He still looks engaged. Uh, you know, we had uh, Bo Naylor on. Bo Naylor was raving about what it's like to have to have Terry as a manager and have you know have him in the office and be able to go in and pick his brain and just sort of just get the whole experience of being managed by Terry Francona. But it really does see as it really does seem as if it's time, doesn't it, Anthony? Like the the health the health concerns are just too much at this point. They're almost it's almost yearly now with with Terry. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, we just uh, I'm here in Cleveland and uh, he just had his press conference a little bit ago where it's <laughs> it's announcing his retirement without announcing his retirement. And that is because he wants to avoid, you know, being saluted everywhere they go down the stretch and, and having a big celebration here. He doesn't want any part of that, but he's almost uh, made it worse for himself now because <laughs> now he just has to answer the, the quasi retirement questions. Uh, so he might be best served to just kind of nip it in the bud and say, look, this this is it because. He's certainly saying it without saying it. And, um, you know, he, he needs a shoulder replaced at the end of the season. He needs a, a double hernia surgery at the end of the season. And that's been a litany of things at the end of every offseason in recent years that he needs to have done. And it, it, it's such a struggle for him just to get himself physically ready for the season, let alone to physically manage the season itself, which is such a grind, you know, the travel and the weird schedule and all of that. And he's got his grandkids that he loves, and I'm sure he wants to spend more time with them. So, um, so yeah, I, we've seen this erosion in him in terms of what he's able to do day-to-day at the ballpark. You know, for many years, he hasn't even come out for batting practice because he's had, and he doesn't love it. He has to delegate so much to his coaching staff because, you know, he needs to preserve himself and not be on his feet uh, for that period of the day so that he can, you know, be at his best for the game. Uh, but I know that kills him, you know, mm-hmm. to, to not be able to give his best physically. So, it definitely does feel like time. Man, how do you replace – what's your follow-up back to Terry Francona, though? You know, I was tr- trying to think of that as you, know, you, were, I mean, you, know, as you were talking. Yeah, the, the reality is you don't replace him. You know, you just it, – it'll be a much different vibe. Uh, whether they go within their staff, you know, Sandy Alomar Jr. has been a managerial candidate in the past, and I don't know if he would get an opportunity here or some other member of the coaching staff or, or you know, their internal staff, but – um, but, you know, whoever it is, it's just such, such a tall shoes to fill. And that person just has to know that, like, they are not very Frank Coder. They're, you know, there's, they're going to bring different strengths to the equation. Um, but the game's also changing so much, and the role has changed. And, um, and you know, we've seen a big sea change just in, the, in this season in terms of how the game is played, let alone managed. So, um, so there's something to be said for fresh blood. And, uh, as, as things turn over, and it's such a young team that it's probably an easier environment to do that. But, but there's no doubt. I mean, it's it's going to be a there's there's literally a chair, a seat, uh, not a chair, a seat in the Guardians dugout for Terry Francona that was installed for him. You know, right at the base of the steps that's uh, removable. You know, during batting practice when people are filtering in and out, and then during the game, it's it's there for him. It's it's his seat. I mean, that just goes to show like 
that mm-hmm. is his dugout, you know? And, um, and, you know, you don't just put anybody in that seat. It's tough to do. You, uh, I mean, you've been able to spend some time around him um, more than a lot of us. What about Terry Francona? Don't we know or don't we make a big enough deal about? Well, you know, he, he tries to play off as this uh, country bumpkin type, you know, and he, he's very self-deprecating. He's a very funny guy. Um, but he is wicked smart about baseball. I mean, he really is. Um, and he really follows the game well, um, you know, all around the league. And he has really good insights on opposing players and, you know, um, and, but, and that all helps him. I, I think that, you know, he's, he's obviously been in the game since birth with his dad. And you see this sometimes where there's just guys who are, you know, the guys, whether it's players who, uh, whose, whose fathers were in the game, you know, Vladimir Guerrero juniors of the world, they have this different instinct for the game uh, than even some of the great, you know, some other great players do. And uh, his instincts are off the charts. Uh, I think that he's rolled with a lot of punches. A lot. The game has changed so much in the, in the time he's been managing. And I think he's rolled with that as well as anybody for him to still have the kind of season the Guardians did last year where he's, you know, one of the oldest managers in the game and, and they were the youngest roster in the game. And for that to work is a real testament to just his communication level and you know, his skill set. Anthony, really good of you to join us today, man. Thanks so much. Good to hear from you again. Likewise, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Take care. Anthony Castorvince of MLB.com, the MLB Network. Um, and that is, uh, again, Anthony's tweet earlier today. Terry Francona is pretty obviously retiring, but hesitant to say he's retiring because he doesn't want people to celebrate him in his career as he retires. But now we're going to do that anyway. And, of course, uh, the Guardians will be the next team into Toronto uh, this weekend. It'll be interesting to uh, to see uh, see how this develops further along and uh if you are going out to the games man it would be nice i don't know terry terry doesn't know exactly how he's going to go about doing it but uh if something is done uh to celebrate terry francona uh it would be it would be wonderful he's certainly i mean he's certainly one of the i don't know if i'd say one of the most transformative managers in baseball history but my God, he had a hand in a lot of things. I'm talking about, of course, the Boston Red Sox. People forget he managed Michael Jordan during Michael Jordan's stint in the minors as well. There, there's, there's, not a, there's not a whole hell of a lot that, uh, that Terry Francona hasn't done. And, um, yeah, it, but based on the health issues, I mean, double hernia, shoulder surgery, he's had heart issues. Um, it seems almost... Today, at, at some point in the past three years, at, at some point, Terry Francona's had some sort of health issue. And you, know, you get the point where you've got to say to yourself, it's just, is it worth it? Um, we've been giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker, whether you listen on the radio or on our podcast. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 595.90. Our last trivia question and answer was... Only two players in Blue Jays' history have, had, history have homered twice in the same inning. Both players played more than one season of their careers in Cleveland. Who are they? The answer, Edwin Encarnacion, Joe Carter. Now, today's question is to win tickets to see the Jays and Nationals down at the Rogers Center on Monday, August 28th. This Cy Young winning pitcher had an incredible 18-year MLB career. Most of it with the Baltimore Orioles, where he both started and finished his career. 
He was a part of their last World Series winning team. His only time in the majors, not in the Orioles, was time and season spent as a member of the Blue Jays. Who is it? If it's any help, I once went to see the drive-by truckers with him at the Horseshoe. True story. I know we're not supposed to give away hints, but there you go. Again, this Cy Young winning pitcher had an incredible 18-year MLB career. Most of it was with the Baltimore Orioles, where he both started and finished his career. He was a part of their last World Series winning team. His only time in the majors, not in the Orioles, was time and season spent as a member of the Blue Jays. Who is it? Text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. You could win tickets to see the Jays and Nationals down at the Rogers Center on Monday, August 28th. The Nationals, a uh, lot of fun to watch this year. Uh, I mentioned a little earlier on the show that uh, the Leafs dropped a little bit of breaking news on us just before he went on the air. Uh, the Maple Leafs re-signing Austin Matthews to a four-year contract extension. Uh, the average annual value of the contract is $13.25 million. Matthews already was under contract for this year, so the four-year extension would, uh, w- would kick in uh, after that. Again, Austin Matthews has re-signed a four-year contract extension with the... Uh, Maple Leafs, the average annual value of the contract is $13.25 million. He has one year remaining on his current contract, which was signed on February 5th, 2019. Uh, it is the highest AAV in team history. It's really odd, actually. You know, the news release should say they've signed him to a four-year extension. Resigned. Anyhow, there you go. Um... Kipper and Bourne are taping an emergency podcast. I remember doing that with Barker all the time. That was great. I was searching for a lost dog in the day that you say Kikuchi was acquired, and I had to run away to tape an emergency pod with Barker. Very true. Kipper and Bourne are... Bourne, I did find the dog, by the way. Kipper and Bourne are taping an emergency pod as we speak with instant reaction to that Leafs Austin Matthews news, so you can look for it wherever you get your podcasts and uh, we'll have more details for you on when to get up before the end of the show. But I know you want to. I want to hear what Kipper and Bourne have to say about it, because uh, God knows they spent enough time talking about Austin Matthews in the past year, as indeed everybody in Toronto has. But uh, good news if you're a Leafs fan. All kidding aside, Austin Matthews uh, resigning a four-year contract extension. We are a little more than, well, a little more than half an hour or less than an hour, a little more than half an hour, probably the best way to put it, away from the first pitch of tonight's game between the Jays and Orioles at Camden Yards, the second of a three-game series. Kevin Gossman will be on the mound for the Blue Jays. We mentioned Dean Kramer will get the start for the Baltimore Orioles in place of Jack Flaherty, who was scheduled to make the start but uh, was scratched this morning after reporting that uh, he just didn't feel right after his throw day. Uh, So the Blue Jays will face face Dean Kramer instead. The Blue Jays lineup is Merrifield, Bichette, Belt, Guerrero, Springer, Varsho, Chapman, Kirk, Kiermaier for the Orioles. Anthony Santander is back in the lineup. That's usually bad news for the Jays. Rutschman, Henderson, Santander, Mountcastle, O'Hearn, Hayes, Mullins, Westberg, and Urias in the lineup 
for the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles, of course, relatively comfortably ahead of the Blue Jays in the American League East, not so comfortably ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays, but uh, they are currently leading the division. Uh, it's something I don't think anybody saw coming. Uh, and the question is, I guess, the question we've all had about the Orioles is focused on their pitching. Love the lineup. Do they have enough pitching to get through? And is this injury to Jack Flaherty maybe a sign of concern? Rock Kabatko covers the Orioles for Mass and Sports. He'll join us next. We'll take, take a deeper dive into it. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Sportsnet. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just half an hour away from first pitch at Camden Yards. A reminder that uh, Nick Kiprios and uh, Justin Bourne are currently taping an emergency podcast as we speak with instant reaction to the Leafs Austin Matthews news. And uh, you can look for it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Trust us, it'll be up there as soon as it can possibly uh, get up there because we understand that the the, the contract is, is a big story. Uh, it's not the only emergency pod, though, that's being taped right now because this happened today. Calling strikes. That ball is hammered high and deep to left field and gone. A two-run homer for DeYoung, who had 13 homers earlier this year as a Cardinal. And you just kind of had this thought, well, 13 homers, that's this year. And maybe he'll run into one here in Philly, and he has done so. Uh, I'm just kidding. Paul DeYoung, you remember him. You remember the Paul DeYoung era? I sure do. Well, uh, he was DFA'd by the uh, Blue Jays. And today, today, Paul DeYoung hit a home run for the San Francisco Giants. So they are running around putting their emergency pod together as we speak. As my grandmother used to tell me, Jeff, even a blind squirrel finds the odd nut. And that is true. So congratulations to Paul DeYoung and his home run. And, uh, yeah, we'll move on from there. Hey, you know what time it is? Let's do a little bit of the back leg line before we have Rock Kabutka come on. The number is 416-413-3959. I like doing this when Barker was here. He gets re- is here. He gets really excited about it. Um, and I, and I want to keep it going even in the big man's absence because I think it's important to have that interaction with fans. So uh, let's see. Who do we got? I think we got Frank from Montreal. La Belle Provence. I love the Expos. Now I'm a Yankee fan, but at the same time, the Yankees are not doing good this year. Rumors have that Theo Epstein and Don Mattingly will become general manager and manager next year, 2024. I think uh, there'll be a press conference after the season in New York to announce uh, that both uh, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman will be released. Anyway, the rumor mill begins. You sound like you wanted to start the rumor mill yourself, Frank. Uh, we had, uh, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com on who lives in New York and has covered the Yankees. I covered the Yankees, put it this way. He and I both were newspaper writers at the same time. So he's covered the Yankees for at least seven decades. 
And uh, he is uh, he is very clear. He thinks Brian Cashman is going to stay. He thinks Aaron Boone might be the guy to walk. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Frank, because uh, I look at Don Mattingly as a Jays bench coach. And part of me has always thought, Don Mattingly, at some point, you got to think he's going to manage the Yankees. I mean, you just do. And part of me thought that maybe one of the reasons Don Mattingly is a bench coach with the Blue Jays is, what better way to get a first-hand view of the American League East? Because Don Mattingly's managed in the National League West. Uh, He's managed in the National League East. What better way to kind of figure out what's going on in the AL East than by being a bench coach on one of the best teams in the AL East? And think about it. You find out how the Jays, who are one of the best teams in the AL East, you get firsthand knowledge of how they view the strengths and weaknesses of the Orioles, the Rays, the Red Sox, and yes, the Yankees. Now, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, never have been, but man, that does make a whole heck of a lot of sense. It really makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. So, yeah, I will say this. If Aaron Boone gets fired, I will be shocked if Don Mattingly isn't at least interviewed for the job. I don't know about getting it. I guess that depends on, on you know, where the Yankees want to go and what they're looking, what they're looking for. I mean, it seems to me that the Yankees, you're going to have to do a lot of work to get the Yankees right. And this isn't the offseason to do it because they're not getting Shohei Otani. And after Shohei Otani, there's really a whole bunch of bleh in terms of free agents. There's really nobody out there that is going to, you know, turn your franchise around. But, hey, Don Mattingly, Yankees manager, why not? 7.05 will be the first pitch tonight. The Jays and Orioles, the second game of their three-game series. Rock Kabatko covers the Orioles for Mass, and he joins us in Blair and Barker. Rock Thanks so much for uh, joining our little our little show today. Uh, so you uh, had the story. I read your report on Jack Flaherty. What do we know about the decision to scratch him? How much? It, it almost sounded as if it was a decision that he had a uh, a pretty significant hand in. Yeah, I mean, we certainly didn't get a bulk size of uh, information here. I mean, basically, it was like general soreness. And he wasn't bouncing back uh, like he wanted to after his start in San Diego, which is like almost a week ago, but also when he threw yesterday. But that doesn't tell a shoulder or arm or back mm-hmm. or anything else. He said general soreness. Brandon Hyde said general soreness. Uh, and just said, and I mean, clearly he must have said bounce back five times in a minute and a half interview. He just didn't bounce back. So we don't know whether he's, this is like, a, I don't think he's starting tomorrow. It's TBA, but I have a feeling he'd be pushed back at least to the Rocky series over the weekend. If not more, he said there were some things he wanted to work on. He had a really good debut start, as you know, in Toronto, and the last two have not been nearly as good. And for the Orioles, I'm sure it's disappointing because, you know, they, they traded for him because they needed somebody that they looked at as more of a veteran innings guy and also going with a six-man rotation to try and avoid this kind of situation you know, with all these guys reaching or passing their innings limits, the younger guys, and the guy you traded for is the one that right now is being at least temporarily shut down. So it's not working out quite the way they thought, but there's not a lot of specifics here, but certainly uh, 
general soreness uh, and not bouncing back the way he had hoped are the themes right now. What would be their options for tomorrow's start? I would think Kyle Gibson would just move up because he was supposed to start Friday. And even moving up, just like Dean Kramer tonight, they're still an extra rest because they right. had two off days plus the six-man rotation. So that's the easiest move. You just bump everybody up a day. And, you know, I mentioned to Hyde, I said, you know, you don't have to scramble too much. He goes, well, there's a little bit because it affects guys' work days as well. But, yes, that would be the most obvious thing to do because, you know, you still have the five starters. So they should be fine in that regard. But, again, the big question is how long are we talking with Flaherty and, you know, general soreness. I, I, I have that every morning when I roll out of bed. But I don't know exactly specifically what's bothering him. And why do you have that rock, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> You know, I wish I had a better answer than I turn 60 next month, but yeah. that's basically it. No, that's true. Once you turn 60, uh, turning 60 is the answer to everything. Trust me, it, it, it's, it is. It, it's, right? it's worked for a while for me. Um, <laughs> Felix Batista last night. You know, it, it during the, the, the telecast, during the Jays telecast, there was some talk about, well, would they would they use them for two innings, they use them for one inning? And, and you know, it's funny. I, I think I remember Brandon Hyde, it may it might have been may it, it 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 was it was june it was certainly before the all-star break there was a series where he didn't use felix batista and i remember him telling you guys that you know look uh we are going to have to rely on these guys uh, a lot this year um you know he didn't say that especially if we get into first place and go on an extended playoff run but i mean there's got to be a possibility here and, and I'm just wondering, coupled with with what we've seen from f- today from Flaherty, is that is that kind of the overarching concern for the Orioles right now? Because that lineup, look, it looks to me like they're just so young and foolish they they don't realize they're not supposed to do what they're doing, which makes them dangerous. But man, that pitching and that bullpen, I, I'm I'm just wondering if workload is becoming an issue. And, and yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't have used. Were you surprised at all that he used his bullpen the way he did last night? Not too much because even though Batista had only thrown nine pitches, uh, he's gone two innings with him four times all on the road. He okay. said it's easier to do that on the road. You take the lead in the 10th, you bring him back out. And he said he wouldn't have been available uh, tonight if he had used them for a second inning. And he goes, plus we're trying to keep him available for the next 30-some-plus games. Right. So, yes, I think that's an indication, and you hit the nail right on the head. As good as they've been, and this has been a great run, best record, American League, whatever – you know, there are a lot of guys that are, like I said, approaching or past their innings limits, and they're trying to find ways to get guys through the rest of this regular season and for the potential for a deep playoff run, six-man rotation being one example, and, you know, not using guys for multiple days to try and freshen them up. And he said something today, Hyde, about, you know, we have a lot of guys that are banged up. And some of the smaller things, you know, Adam Frazier wasn't available last night. He's still got a sore right thumb. He's had it wrapped, but he should be okay tonight. Santander back in the lineup, hadn't played since Friday because of a sore back. Uh, other guys are pretty dinged up right now, but the pitching, especially, it's like, okay, you know, Bradish has been great so far. This second half, like, he is their ace right now, tied for lowest ERA in the league, but will he still be strong deep into, you know, September, going to October? What about Dean Kramer? You know, so they're trying some other things as well. They sent down Tyler Wells, sent him to Bowie to freshen him up and they're shortening his outings. Now they're going to make him a reliever when he comes back because maybe they didn't feel like he would be able to hold up as a starter because his innings were building up, and he'd be a, a weapon in the pen. They're going to get John Means back. Maybe he's going to be a bullpen guy, or he could help with the rotation. They're trying to find different ways to kind of get through 
the rest of the regular season into the playoffs, and you got veteran teams who, well, this is nothing. You know, they've, they've tamed the dog days of summer, and they're used to this. New Orleans have largely a clubhouse. I think there's five guys that have been in the, uh, had postseason experience. I mean, maybe Flaherty's one of them. They don't have a lot of those guys. So this is new for them. So how are they going to hold up later? And this has been something they've been thinking about since really before the break. Yannir Cano, he hasn't been used this much before. Just guys like that. It's like, all right, how can we keep them fresh? And is this going to be a disadvantage when they do get into later September and into October when veteran teams are still pushing and they're trying to, you know, freshen guys up? What surprised you the most about, and I may have asked you this the last time you were on, but what surprised you the most about this Orioles team now? Here we are, August, what, August 23rd? Whatever it is, August 23rd. That's another thing that happens when you, get, when you turn 60. Uh, the, days, <laughs> the days don't matter that much. Um, but what surprised you the most about this team, the fact that it's in first place right now in the AL East? And, and again, doesn't, um, you know, it's not the biggest lead in the planet, but I don't think anybody's looking at the Orioles and going, ooh, you know, they're, they're going to wobble. I don't think anybody expects that, and that's kind of odd. Yeah, it is. I think really the pitching and specifically the bullpen has been a surprise just because, you know, they had the ninth lowest ERA in baseball last year, and that was shocking. They were always at or near the bottom. But there's always regression with a bullpen. And if you had told me before the season they were going to be relying a lot on Yenier Cano, who had all kinds of control problems in his limited time in the majors last year, and that they were going to get nothing from Dylan Tate. He hasn't pitched since last October. And that Michael Gibbons is going to last six bad appearances, and he's gone. He's been DFA'd and released. And, you know, Austin Vos has been hurt. Keegan Aiken's on the 60-day. I want to say, well, this is going to completely fall apart. And if there was a time when they were around like the top three and lowest ERAs in baseball, I know it fluctuates, but it has been a lot better than I thought. I never would have thought Cano was going to be an all-star setup, man. I wonder why he was still on the 40 over the winter. That's how much I know. Every time they'd have to make another 40 move, I'm thinking, well, that guy's definitely on the bubble. And, you know, Bautista, you didn't know for sure. His first full season was a closer. He was going to be like a Cy Young candidate now. Danny Coulomb was somebody they got from the Twins right at the end of spring training. And now he's getting ready to come off the, the I.L., and he's been a high-leverage lefty for him. Cino Perez is throwing better now, but if you told me that he would have this kind of year not nearly as good as last year, I would have thought that also would have crippled that bullpen. So the fact that they've been this good in relief is, and the fact now that they can go ahead and add a Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall, one of the top pitching prospects, is, again, a guy they want to develop as a starter, but they're bringing him up in September to be a power arm in the bullpen, they can shorten those games and, and help that rotation, which is what a lot of teams do in the postseason. Get four and two-third or five out of your starter and then turn loose this bullpen. Who is, you, you may have answered this already with D.L. Hall, but of the position players, is there a chance we might see somebody like Jackson Holiday up this year? I don't think so. No, I, I hate to never say never because you hate to be proven wrong, but 19-year-old kid who started out low A ball, and is now in double-A, hasn't even played triple-A. I mean, for him to get to triple-A would be almost unprecedented. And Elias has said that. That's unheard of, to go low-A, high-A, double-A, triple-A, and a high school kid that age. He is a very special talent. But it would surprise me if they did that this year. Now, if he could pitch, yes. But, you know, <laughs> as good as he is, and he's a special talent, I, you, know, you don't necessarily, quote, need him as much as you need some other help in other areas. Because, you know, I, I ran that by one guy in the organization about Holiday, all the rumors and speculation. And he goes, what's wrong with Gunnar Henderson at shortstop? Like, why, yeah. why are people looking to bring up a shortstop? This kid is a stud. And, of course, you can move him to third. But you have Jordan Westberg. And, 
Uh, I just don't think that there's a thought right now of, hey, we got to get Jackson Holiday up here. Even if it's like I had somebody say, hey, but he could be a speed guy off the bench. Well, that's why Jorge Mateos here. It's one right. of the fastest guys in baseball. Ramon Urias is more versatile as a utility guy. So I just don't think there's that screaming need. So I would be surprised. I, would, I think it's more likely that Joey Ortiz, a very you know, plus defender, shortstop at AAA, who's really hitting the ball well and has been up a little bit this year, I think there's a better chance he comes up or Colton Kowser returns, maybe even a Heston Kirstead, before you would see a Jackson Holiday. So when this happens, like let's look uh, – I was going to say let's look ahead to the end of next year, but how, how, how do you see this infield shaking out? Ultimately, is Gunnar Henderson the, – the, is it as simple as he's at third base? And how, how would you see that infield, uh, that infield alignment when it's, you know, when it's ready to – when it's ready to, when everybody's ready to contribute at the major league level, and what does that mean for a dude like Ryan Mountcastle? Exactly, and although they don't really have a first base prospect, okay, in the minors, like a big time prospect. Now, there's Kobe Mayo, who's a power hitter, primarily third base, who got up to Triple A, who also has been playing some first base, but really, in a way, Mountcastle. Let certainly, if he could play more games against Toronto, but just overall, the way he's hitting now, that he got past the vertigo. You know, there was a time when some people wonder if he'd be a non-tender candidate. There's no way. But it is funny. Gunner is such a plus defender at short, and yet he may primarily be the third baseman. It always reminds me of, you know, Manny Machado at first, uh, initially, when he was a third baseman and had a weight while J.J. Hardy was at short. But in this case, it's kind of a reverse. You have a kid like Jackson Holiday who is a shortstop. So you may end up primarily having that alignment. But Jackson Holiday can also play second base. So there'll be times where you move him over, and then you could go ahead and put Gunner at short. They do really like Joey Ortiz. They've got Jordan Westberg who can play third and second. He plays short. He hasn't done it here, but he's done it in the minors. And then you have Kobe uh, Connor Norby, who's a second baseman at AAA, who's one of their top prospects. So that's why I feel like there's going to, at some point, have to be a trade. You know, they've already moved Daryl Hernandez in the Cole Urban trade. They moved Cesar Prieto to the Cardinals for Flaherty. And yet they still have all the steps. There may be another deal. Maybe when you're trying to get a frontline starting pitcher, you're not going to spend big on one. They may have to part with a little bit of that surplus because 26-man roster, there just isn't room for everybody. Rock, listen, man, I appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much. Congratulations on, hating, on uh, hitting 60. I guess hating 60 as well. It's in some ways the same thing. <laughs> Both of them. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much, man. Be well. All righty. It's Rock Abatko covers the Orioles for Mass and Sports. Um, but 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 uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's sixty. Jeez, it's unreal. Uh, we go to the back leg line. We got a couple more calls. Go to the back leg line to uh, run this out. We'll get you set for tonight's first pitch at seven oh five from Camden Yards. A reminder that. Uh, uh, Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne are uh, putting together a podcast to react to the news that Austin Matthews has signed a four-year contract extension with the Leafs. That is obviously going to be a big, big story, uh, big story uh, in, in Toronto these next couple of days. So wherever you get your favorite podcasts, you'll be able to find an updated version of Kipper and Bourne. They'll have you covered all you need to know reaction about the Matthews contract, what it means for the team, what it means for William Nylander, and, uh, and, and, and a real thorough, detailed breakdown on the news. Austin Matthews 
signing a four-year contract extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Highest average annual value in club history, $13.25 million. But that's hockey. Let's get back to baseball ahead of tonight's first pitch. 416-413-3959 is a back leg line. Where are we going? Let's go to Rosemary from Oshawa. I'm just really concerned that they keep putting a belt on every so often on first base. He doesn't seem to have the stretch power of Vladdy or the quick reflexes. Um, What do you think? Thank you. Have a great day. You guys are good. (laughs) Thank you, Rosemary. So if Barker isn't here, does that mean I'm twice as, do I get twice the, there you go. I'll take it. Uh, Brandon Belt, you know, offensively. Well, here, here's something I always tell people because people ask me the same thing. Why is Brandon Belt play? And I think back to not that long ago. Think back to a couple of years ago. Um, let's go back to last year. What, what, what do we always talk about? Well, one of the important things the Jays need to do is they need to keep their players on the field, right? The old line is your best ability is availability. One of the things the Jays have focused on, and I got a knock on wood right now when I say this. Actually, that table's wood. This is plexiglass with some description. But one of the things the Jays have focused on is keeping George Springer in the lineup and keeping Vladdy in the lineup. And that has meant, at times, giving them... In Springer's case, giving him a day off. Uh, in Vladdy's case, it's been, quote-unquote, getting him off his feet and having him DH. And, and I would say this. Whatever the Jays have done to keep these guys healthy, right? we're, not, we don't, we're not talking about, I'm not going to talk about Vladdy's production or lack thereof right now. I'm talking about keeping him healthy. Because I think we can all agree that it, it's good when Vladdy's healthy. Whatever they're doing to make it work with those two dudes, just keep doing it. Um, Brandon Belt, if you talk to people around the team, you know, Brandon Belt's played a lot of first base. Yes, he's an older guy. He's got very soft hands. You watch him around first base. Keep in mind that a lot of times you see Vladdy make a play. I wish my friend Mr. Barker was here. A lot of times you see Vladdy do what he does. It's because... His work around first base is, shall we say, still a work in progress. Um, Vladdy, God love him, has an ability to sometimes turn plays that are, you know, so-so into spectacular plays. And that's fine. At least he makes the play. Uh, We've also seen times, we saw that recently, that throwing error from Santiago Espinal, where, you know, Espinal gets the error, but as my friend Mr. Barker would have said, 9 of 10 major league first baseman catch that ball on the fly, and it's not even close. Brandon Belt's got soft hands. He knows his way around the bag. Um, you don't lose a great deal defensively with him at first base, at least you know to the eye. Maybe there's an analytics thing out there that says that. But trust me, if he was that bad defensively, the 15,000 khakis in the Jays' front office would ensure that he's not out in the field. So clearly they're okay with it. Long-winded answer saying that um, if it's not him in the field, it's maybe Biggio at first base. Brandon Belt does one thing. 
Like Brandon Belt sees a lot of pitches. He gets on bases. OPS plus over the last three years is among the top 15 in baseball. He contributes to this team offensively. Maybe, maybe not in the way we all want it to, right? Maybe, uh, you know, if it's me, I'd rather have somebody with a little more pop in there. But Brandon Belt contributes to this team offensively. His offensive profile works with this team the way it is right now. So you can't play him in any other position. I mean, you just can't. So you got a combination of one, you need to give Vladdy some time. And it's working because he is healthy. Two, you want to get Belt's left-handed bat in the lineup somehow. It's either DH or first base. You're not going to put him anyplace else. And and three, he's, you know, not bad at first base. So I, I don't, again, I, I'd prefer having another left-handed hitter than Brandon Belt in the lineup, but they've done, they've had worse <laughs> in the lineup, and he's okay around first base. So to answer your question, whatever they're doing to keep Vladdy and George Springer healthy, keep doing it. And having Brandon Belt play in the field, if that is part of the equation, I'm all for it. That's it for us today. A reminder, first pitch is at 7.05. I will be back for Blue Jays talk immediately following the game. I will also be back here tomorrow from 5 to 7 on Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet. Austin Matthews, if you want more information on his four-year contract extension with the Leafs, go to wherever you get your favorite podcast. Kipper and Bourne will have you covered. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy the rest of your night.